the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. World, we don't like to think of things that are too scary, but this one's kind of scary. This is one that gives me goosebumps. Saved means protection from God. Saved means protection from God. When somebody says to you, what, is, what does saved mean? You, you tell them, explain to them. Help them to understand that saved means protection from God. Hello, and welcome to today's edition of Grace to Live with Pastor Keith Crosby, lead pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We're so thankful you've joined us for today's program, and we encourage you to follow along in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, we'll be picking up in part two of Pastor Keith's message, What Does It Mean to Be Saved? from the Book of Romans. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Romans chapter 5. But there are only two religions. And saved means provision from God. We can't earn his love. We can't buy his love. We can't stack up enough good works to get ourselves a stairway to heaven or whatever. And you see this provision implied in verse 5. It's there implicitly. And you find it explicitly laid out for you in verses 6, 7, and 8. In verse 5, we read this, And hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts. It doesn't say we poured God's love into our hearts. It's been done to us or for us. That's provision. Through the Holy Spirit, who we grabbed for ourselves. No, it doesn't say that, does it? Through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Who has been provided for us. God provides everything that we need in salvation. We don't bring anything to the table. And that's where you see that implicit there. And then explicitly, we see it in verses 6, 7, and 8. Because you're going to say, well, salvation, being saved, means peace with God. Being saved means provision from God. And somebody's going to say, well, why did you need provision? Why did God have to provide for you? Weren't you good enough? You're a good person. And verses 6, 7, and 8 remind us that we were unable, unworthy, and unwilling to obtain this, and so God had to provide it. In verse 6, we're told we were unable. It says this, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. We lack the ability to save ourselves. The wages of sin is death. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're unable to save ourselves. No human can save us, and we're unable to save ourselves. Think of it this way. In 2006, we had a financial crisis, right? The, the housing bubble bursted. I think in, one, in, in 2006, there were 1.25 million foreclosures. People who were able to hang on to their houses were underwater. They owed more than the house was worth. They were upside down in their mortgages. And they needed a bailout. Because they couldn't do it themselves. 
Well, that's what Christ has provided for us. We were underwater in our sin debt. We had made a mess. We had, God had given us a perfect world. Humanity broke it. He'd given us a perfect relationship with him. We destroyed it. And there was nothing we could do to restore ourselves. And so he provided for us in Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. What we could not provide for ourselves. He paid the sin debt. He reconciled us to God. He wiped the books clean. Because we were unable to. The second reason that God had to provide for us. If someone asks you. Is the fact that we were unworthy. You see that in verse 7. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Here's the thing. Verse 6 says we were ungodly, right? At just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. You and I were unworthy. I, I can tell you, again, before I was a Christian... The people that knew me, the people that dealt with me, I wasn't the nicest guy, I wasn't warm and fuzzy. Nobody would have been lining up to sacrifice themselves for me. No one, no one could have, but if they could have, they wouldn't. Because I, I was ungodly. I was unworthy. And so God provided for me, in my unworthiness, what I could not provide for myself. And when you think about it, going back to the financial crisis model again, or illustration, the people who were all burdened and buried in their sin weren't credit worthy, and banks did not want to lend them money. That's the way we were. We were, uncre- we were spiritually uncredit worthy. Somebody might die for a righteous man, uh, somebody might even dare to die for a good man, but we were ungodly. We were cut off from God. We were passively or actively at war with God. But God showed his love to us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Unable, unworthy, and last and not least, unwilling. We see that in verse 8. But God shows his love for us. Some translations say God demonstrated his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we didn't know him, when we didn't love him, he loved us. That's what it says in 1 John, right? It's not that we loved him. He first loved us. That's how we love him. Provision. Provision. Bible says there's in, in three places, in, in two places in the Psalms and one place in the book of Romans, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who seeks for God. While we were still at war with God, God demonstrated, God showed, God provided his love for us through Jesus Christ who died for us, who provided the bailout that we ourselves could not provide. That's why we need provision from God. We didn't want to come to him. In John 5, Jesus is talking to the Jewish leadership and he says, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have life. But they testify of me, but you will not come to me. Unwilling. That's us, that's me, that's you, or it was. But God in his mercy... Showed his love for us. Provided for us what we couldn't provide for ourselves. That's provision. And there's a really graphic, powerful passage. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. Think about this. You think about a sinless son, a sinless God, leaving the glories of heaven to come down to this place. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, we, that's you and me, 
might become the righteousness of God. Saved means provision from God. He provided peace for us through Jesus Christ, through the reconciliation that he brought, a cessation of hostilities. We became children of God. He provided for us provision. And provision points us to the third soundbite, the third description, the third description of what saved means. Somebody says to you, what does this saved mean? What does that mean? What is that all about? And this one's probably the most shocking. And you know, in our world, we don't like to think of things that are too... Uh, scary, but this one's kind of scary. This is one that gives me goosebumps. Saved means protection from God. Saved means protection from God. When somebody says to you, what what does saved mean? You, You tell them, explain to them. Help them to understand that saved means protection from God. Where do we find this? We find it in verse nine. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Let me just take the opportunity here to, as, as I kind of unpack this idea, to sort of uh, discard some unfortunate and regrettable Christian mythology that pervades many in the church. A lot of times we think of the devil is having, you know, little horns on his head, you know, he's got a little pointy tail, he's got a pitchfork, little red, you know, jumpsuit, maybe red tights, cloven hooves, and him and his demons are punishing all the bad people in hell. They're punishing Saddam Hussein, they're punishing Adolf Hitler, all the really, really bad people. But the fact of the matter is, Satan has never been to hell. He has a permanent reservation there, one that he can't cancel. And some of the demons are there, but most of them aren't. So who's doing the punishing? Theologians tell us that heaven is heaven because God and his mercy and grace are there. But the fine print is that hell is hell because our omnipresent, everywhere present God is there pouring out his wrath on those who have rejected Jesus Christ. God stands ready, willing, and able to forgive anyone of anything, no matter who they are, where they've come from, what they've done, who their mother was, who their father was, how rich, how poor, whatever color it is they were, whatever they used to believe. He offers salvation. He offers peace with God. He offers provision. But he only gives it to those who embrace that gift. And those who push it aside experience The unending, unrelenting, unrestrained, full-throated wrath of God poured out on them in hell in conscious, unending, agonizing punishment forever without hope. And that, to me, is a scary thought. And that's why we need protection from God. Protection by Him, through Him, from the wrath of God. In Romans 1.18, it tells us that the wrath of God is poured out on men and women who suppress the truth, who ignore the gospel, who ignore God, who pretend he doesn't exist in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God has been made apparent to them through what has been made. God's invisible attributes are revealed through the creation. 
And in John 3.36, we're told that those who believe in the Son have life. But those who disobey the Son, and the Greek word there is a word apatheon, from which we get the word apathy. Those who are apathetic, those who are disinterested in the Son, will not see life, and they typically disobey him. But the wrath of God remains on them. Some translations say abides on them. And that Greek word underneath abides or remains has to do with it stuck on them. You see, those without Christ, even before they die, are already under the wrath of God. It's restrained. It isn't fully ignited. But I'm reminded, again, going back to a warfare analogy, in World War II, towards the end of World War II, in the Korean War and in Vietnam, we used something called napalm. And to oversimplify, napalm was like a jellied gasoline. And when it hit you, it stuck to you. You could not wipe it off. And if it, if it was ignited, you couldn't wipe it off and you could stick your hands underwater and it wouldn't do anything because it stuck to you, it remained on you, and it was inescapable. That's a picture of God's wrath. It's on us in this life as we disregard him, as we reject his forgiveness, as we reject his son. And if we die without peace with God, provision from God, and protection from God, We experience it in the life to come. That's the wrath of God. But the good news is, is that the gospel deals with all that. And Jesus takes it away. If we will will receive peace from God, if we will receive provision from God, if we will embrace protection from God. How does he do that? Look at verse 10 with me just for a moment. And here's the thing. In verse 10, you've really, this is really beautiful here in verse 10. You've got the whole gospel. When we were in Greece, we were there for Greek Easter a few weeks ago. And all the flags in Greece were at half-mast on their Good Friday. But, you know, the gospel is more than crucifixion. It's about resurrection. Lots of religious leaders die, but none of them rise and conquer sin, death, and hell for us. In Romans 5.10, we read this. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. There's the debt paid. Peace with God, provision from God. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. His debt pays our debt. His death pays our debt. And his life secures our future in heaven. And together, they bring what we find in verse 11, reconciliation. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Think about that. I mean, that's incredible. Saved means peace with God, yes. Saved means provision from God, absolutely. And saved means protection from God by God. It's easy to understand. It's impossible almost. It's difficult to believe sometimes. That's why salvation is a God thing. But what you can do with these sound bites, with these tweets, you can go on Twitter today and tweet, saved means peace with God. Somebody may tweet you back, sometimes not very nicely, but they may ask you what that means. Now you've got a hearing. The next day, saved means provision from God. Saved means protection from God. And somebody may watch all three of those and go, what are you talking about? These are 
conversation starters that you and I can use to bring glory to God and good to others by sharing the gospel with the people who will listen and with some who won't because, we, you know, one plants, one waters, one harvest, but God yields the increase. So the question is then, what do we do with all this? We've got our sound bites and we've got the explanations that go with them. What do you do? How then shall you and I live in this fallen, post-Christian, post-modern world? Let me just give you some suggestions for application. And like all pastors, I have a lot of suggestions. Number one, be grateful. No one has ever loved you or me like this. And God has... We've received the gift of eternal life. I mean, that's an incredible thing. We, We had lived a life apart from God and God came hunting us like he came hunting Adam and Eve after they fell in the garden. Like he came after Cain after he killed Abel. Like he pursued Israel through the prophets and pursued humanity through Jesus Christ. If you're grateful, let it show, right? Live grateful. Live in light of this gift you've received. Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, so that you let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You know, we live in a surveillance culture, and it's not the CIA or the FBI who's after us, the NSA. The world wants to know that we believe what we say we believe. And the way for us to do that is to live it out. And somebody may say, what makes you as unique or as odd, or what makes you do the things you do? Well, I have salvation through Jesus Christ. What's that? And since you asked, let me give you three simple descriptions. Tell them. Secondly, get ready. Get ready. What does that mean? We live in a soundbite society, and I've just given you three soundbites. Get ready to use them. How can you do that? Go home, take your sermon notes, look at the passage. If, they, if the sermon gets posted online, download it, pray, and prepare, because God may have divine appointments for you, and you need to be ready to roll when the time comes. So get ready. And then what? Acquire tools. Acquire tools. What does that mean? Well, we've been told that a picture is worth a thousand words. And I've got a website here for you. And it is an application for sharing your faith. You, and, and I don't care whether you're an iPhone guy or a girl or a, or a Windows guy or a girl or, a, you know, whatever your operating system, whatever it is, look there. You know, it, it'll work on Android phones. It'll work on anything. It comes in 20 languages. And after you've used your sound bites and after you've talked to them and you've said, well, save means peace with God, save means provision from God, save means protection from God, and they want it, you can walk them through the bridge illustration. This is a free app, by the way. And again, it's in 20 languages. And if you're, and if you're an, un, an unnatural evangelist that doesn't come naturally to you, you can just push a button and that little guy walks right through the whole thing. Or you can do this, you know, do this or do this or, you know, whatever it is you do. <laughs> And you can share the gospel with them using the bridge illustration. So acquire tools. Then what? Get connected. Get involved. Get connected. What does that mean? You know, the poet said, no man is an island unto himself. We need to be working together. Christianity is not a spectator sport. It's a team sport. And everybody gets to play. Everybody's on the field. Nobody's going to sit on the bench. 
But you know what? You need to, you need to be tied in, connected, accountable to, discipled by, encouraged by, challenged by a faith community. And if you're visiting this church for the first time, or if you've been kind of sitting in the pews watching to see what happens here, go to their website. There's a connections website, or just go to hillside.org and find the connections website. Enroll in a class. Find uh, an ABF. Find a, a small group. Get involved in ministry and grow. So get connected. And then what? Be talkative. Be talkative. Eons and eons ago, when I was in high school, you know, somebody would meet a girl, and he'd say, man, I met a girl. He'd tell people about it. Girls would meet a guy, they'd tell people about it. Or if you, if you get a new car, you want to show people. You get a promotion at work, you want people to know. You want to tell your wife, your children, your friends, your enemies sometimes. You have received the greatest gift, better than any raise, better than any promotion, better than any car. You have received the greatest gift that a human being can receive, eternal life in Jesus Christ. Tell people, because you're grateful, because you're ready, because you're, you've acquired tools, because you're connected, because you're thankful. Tell people about Christ. And God will use you. He takes common everyday people like you and I and he does uncommon things with us to us and through us now we have a problem there is a fly in the ointment in everything that I've taught you there is a fatal flaw all right and what is that unless you have received peace from God through provision from God and protection from God, unless you have embraced Christ as your Savior, you will not have the ability, the understanding, or the power, or the endurance to do this. And a lot of times we sit in church, you know, you grow up in a church and you go to church because your mother and your father did. And you know about God, but you don't know God. And if, there, if there's anyone here today who God is some abstract, faraway grandfather figure or some big, scary, whatever, you know, ready to strike when you do something wrong, I want, you to, I want you to ask for peace with God now. I want you to seek provision from God. I want you to, to seek protection from God. I want you to seek Christ. How do you do that? It's very simple. It involves a change of direction. You change, you turn your back on being your own God. And you turn toward Christ who you acknowledge and understand died for your sin. And through his resurrection can secure eternal life. And you explain, and you confess, and you admit, and you cry out to him for forgiveness, for reconciliation. And he will grant it. He sees your heart. It doesn't matter how you pray or what exact the words are. It matters where your heart is and that you really, really, really want him. Do not leave here today without doing that. So before I close with a word of prayer, let me just say this. Don't be bashful. Tell people about it. And if you don't have it, see me after the service and I'll hook you up with somebody who can explain to you how to come to God, how to find Christ, how to become a child of God, how to receive peace, provision, and protection. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.